0: talked to you last week a little bit about the minor prophets, and let's just go ahead and go back to understand a little bit what we were talking about. If you go from Malachi backward, you have Malachi, then Zechariah, then Haggai. And these particular prophets were actually minor prophets, and the, uh, the major of the minor is Zechariah, the one we're looking at uh, right now. And, and you have a lot of information concerning these men, but what I wanted to let you know about here is that these particular men are unveiling the truth uh, that Jesus Christ is going to come, and uh, Jesus Christ would be born, of course, um, in Bethlehem. And uh, we know that, that uh, uh, Malachi, of course, the last uh, chapter uh, of the New Testament, uh, or of the Old Testament, the last particular book of the Old Testament, Malachi is basically giving us um, instruction toward the priests. Zechariah, of course, has lots of prophecies, many, many, many prophecies, kind of like uh, Isaiah being the major of the majors. And then you have uh, Haggai, and uh, these particular individuals uh, are pointing to Christ. And so uh, I thought it would be good for me to just title this The Messiah Prophesied. And many of you have heard the term Messiah. And when we're talking about the birth of Christ, we, we think about Emmanuel we, we have uh, Jesus, uh, these are the words all used for our Lord. And uh, in verse number 12 of our text uh, this morning, uh, we have a clear understanding that we're talking about well, the branch would be that branch being capital letters. That might be in your Bible. Uh, that particular word has uh, being significant. Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And so, what we're talking about is the Messiah. And so, many of you have heard that word. Uh, the word is actually used twice in the Old Testament. The word Messiah. Uh, and, and again, it's it's mentioned twice in the New Testament, uh, two times in the book of Daniel and then two times um, in, in the book of John. Daniel 9, 25 and 26, they know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks. Of course, we're talking about... Uh, "...years, of course, weeks of years, and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, uh, and, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come, shall, uh, shall destroy the city, and the sanctuary, and end thereof shall be uh, with a flood, and unto the end war of desolations are determined." And so, in the book of Daniel, we also see that the timeline is given to us, and you can map it all out from the time that they were able to build the wall of Jerusalem till the cutting off of the Messiah till Jesus Christ was on the cross. Uh, of course, we understand because of of Isaiah fifty three that he would be crucified, um, and on the third day he would come out of the grave. Daniel is referring to him as the Messiah. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and also in the New Testament, John 141, he first finds his brother Simeon, or Simon, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And so, giving us an understanding that Jesus Christ is the Messiah according to the New Testament, but we look back at the Old Testament, several years being prophesied, that the Bible is actually true. And the Bible is complete. Let me just share with you that I don't think we need to to debate the Word of God today. I think we need to preach the Word of God. And I really believe we need to live the Word of God. It is actually being fulfilled before our eyes, dear friend. And, And remember, too, that Christmas time is a wonderful time to be able to encourage people to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the Spirit of God is moving and tugging at hearts so that people would be saved even as I speak today. Maybe somebody is watching from home and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Are you tired of being religious? Come to Christ and know God personally through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the word Messiah, of course, is the topic. And so in John chapter 4, verse number 25, when Jesus was conversing with the woman, At the well and was talking to her, she said unto him, I know that the Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us of all things. And it was hard for her to comprehend. She was looking at him. I mean, she's having a conversation with the Messiah. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful word. The word Messiah really means Christ or or anointed. Uh, It means the Savior of the world. Um, uh, We all remember and have heard of the Messiah uh, as far as they they labeled that as as a a program of a choir would sing and perform, if you would. Messiah uh, is an English language, I think they call it an oratorio. Uh, I believe that's how you say that word, composed in 1741 by George Frederick Handel. Handel. And uh, with the scripture text compiled, Charles Jennings, from the King James Bible and from the version of the Psalms included with the Book of Common Prayer united in the beautiful uh, rendition, if you would, of the Handel's Messiah. And so it was per- first performed in Dublin on 8- April 13, 1742, and it was received uh, its London premiere nearly a year later. And after an initially modest public reception, this particular program gained in popularity, eventually becoming one of the best-known and most frequently performed choral works in Western music. And many of you were able to go to the Messiah here recently at Calvary Baptist in, in uh, Watertown. But I thought I'd just play a song for you this morning so you get a little bit of a glimpse of, of what I'm talking about. be seated. What a blessing. And again, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. Dear friend, let me tell you something. If you have not trusted Christ as your personal Savior, today would be the day to trust Him. That's just a little glimpse of what it's going to be like when we get to glory, because they are... They are, and we are going to be praising Him and giving Him glory through all that actually, uh, throughout all eternity. And so it is a good thing for us to remember that the Messiah, especially around Christmas time, and really that's what Christmas is all about. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign, and behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and His name shall Be called Emmanuel, and so we see it also uh, in verse number in Matthew, verse number twenty-three of chapter one. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and uh, just something happened. My my whole computer went blank, and uh, I don't need any help yet. I can I can do this, but usually I have a hard time uh, with computers, and I want to take them and use them for a boat anchor. But, uh, but it, 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 in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with a child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so, Emmanuel, God with us, we see in Zechariah that he speaks of Christ, the Messiah, coming. Of course, in the book of Matthew, we have the most accurate description of, Of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, if we were to speculate a little bit on how the generations were to be given, there is no better historical accounts than what we have in the word of God and in the book of Matthew. And so, of course, it shows from Abraham to David, there are 14 generations. And from David till the captivity of the Babylonian, or the Babylonian captivity, there was 14 generations. And from Babylon to Christ, there was 14 generations. And so, interesting how strategic it was that God would allow these generations to be given to us, and then to be recorded. 42 generations, from Abraham till Jesus Christ is recorded and pointing to the prophecy of being fulfilled in the book of Zechariah. Now what's interesting is that what we call Uh, The church age is a parenthesis from the time of of the cutting off of the Messiah and the resurrection, of course, of Jesus Christ until now, Is we're calling this the church age. If you were to read in the book of Revelation, you would see that, that the Lord allows us to understand in the first few chapters of those seven churches and the pastors that were over those churches and those that would guide and encourage and be able to continue to stay stay faithful to the Lord, that God gave those men the responsibility of doing that. We would see that that church age then, I believe, is going to come to an end someday. And at that end, then, is mentioned in chapter 4 of Revelation, verse number 1, and and then both 4 and 5 of Revelation, you have the strongest, most beautiful description of heaven. If you want to take time this afternoon and read about heaven, you can see the 4th and 5th chapter of Revelation describes to us exactly what's going on in glory right now. But it's interesting that... Verse number 1 tells us of of, of uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1 tells us that there is a door open in heaven, and I believe that is the rapture of the church, and then the church is rush, uh, ushered out, of course, of this world system. But here, then, in Zechariah, we have a visible historical account uh, of the divine representatives, of all of this with the crowns and, and all of the coronations that are going on. And these writings soar from the pages of scripture into the mystical vision of the future. And I, I don't know how we can overlook some of these minor prophets today and jump right into the New Testament. It's wonderful that we do, but There is so much prophecy in the Old Testament that points to God and points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of these prophecies are looked back upon because now they are locked into the historical account of our past. And we know that some of the things that Zechariah wrote about have already happened. And the Lord Jesus Christ did come. And he was humbly born in a manger Jesus Christ already came once. And let me tell you something, the Bible doesn't end there. The Bible actually says He's coming again. And guess what? He is coming again. And uh, morning, noon, or night, He is going to come again. And nobody knows the hour, and nobody knows the day, but we certainly know the season and something smells like the second coming of Christ. I don't know about you, but I look what's going on in the world system, and the world is being cultured and created and pampered and molded for the Antichrist. We see it happening every single day when we turn the news on. And uh, sometimes we get frustrated what's going on because people are so blind. And by the way, if you have Christ living in you, eternally your eyes are open. You have light, you have life, you have love, you have all of these things. And the world doesn't. And so when I see and get angry at some of the news reporters, they are blind, and they cannot see. They can't sing Amazing Grace like we can. They can't sing every stanza like we can, because we seem to increase in our volume. I noticed it today in some of the hymns that we sang, that it just seems like it gets better as we sing more and more, and understanding a little bit more that Jesus Christ will come soon. But let me just give you a few things to think about. The first thing, if you would, if you were taking notes, is the person of the Messiah described, and in verse number 12 of our text, and speak unto him, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man. Let me just take that phrase out, behold, the man. What is it talking about when it says the man? Well, interesting enough that, Uh, The scriptures also say in Hosea, chapter 2, verse number 16, And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, man, or husband, and then call me no more Bali, who would be Lord or Master. And so there's a shift where the Messiah is actually giving us an understanding that he is going to come on this Earth, not to be called uh, Lord, although He is, but he would also be called man, is that God would come to the earth. Uh, Jesus would come, uh, God would come in the flesh in Jesus Christ. and we would understand this to be true. It's called the hypostatic union of Christ, and we're talking about him being 100 percent man and 100 percent Christ. While he walked on this earth, he had the power, but yet he had humility. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is where we have put our faith in Jesus. And so, the name then of love shall take the place of the name of the law. This is the spirit of the gospel, isn't it? Because the gospel is more of the spirit rather than the law. You look at the law and how the law condemns and still does. And so anybody who looks at the law, uh, the Old Testament, and reads, you can see that nobody can keep the law completely, that all of us have failed, that it basically is a school teacher, uh, school master, to show to us and teach us, if we're willing to be taught, that we cannot please God with our behavior enough to get to heaven. Some people think that they have to work their way to get to heaven by keeping the law. Uh, if we would get to heaven by keeping the law, then why did Jesus come? Why did he come and suffer so? And as we look at him sometimes and see a film perhaps, or even a, a picture of Jesus being crucified, and our hearts are heavy saying, why did he suffer so? Because nothing would take the sin away. The law couldn't do that. But Jesus Christ could fulfill the law interesting as we think about it because this is the spirit of the gospel. The man, not wretched, not miserable, mortal or dying. Job chapter 25, verse number 6 says, How much less man, that is a worm, the son of man, which is a worm. Asking the question, but not this man. This man is Jesus. He is strong, full of courage, and He is preeminent. And even though the Old Testament speaks of Him, also the New Testament in the book of Hebrews quotes Psalm 8 where it says, For thou hast made Him a little lower than the angels and has crowned Him "...with glory and honor, and thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Now hast has put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the fields and the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth." The man, as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ coming, we also see in verse number 12, the branch in capital letters. Isaiah 4.2 says, And in that day, the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely. That means attractive for them that are escaped of Israel. But it's implying, really, the Lord Jesus Christ or the offspring of Jehovah. That's what it's implying when it says the branch. Uh, the branch means priest or king. It implies future, it implies a descendant of David, and it revives the prophecy of Jeremiah, because Jeremiah himself said in Jeremiah 33, "Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel, unto the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. There is so much that points to the branch as being Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and how he would come and he would be born. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. I think it's important this year that we would pull toward this truth even more so. Because there are those that are willing to commercialize Christmas and make it all about something else other than the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. December 25th. It's going to be here pretty soon, folks. I love it, by the way. It starts Christmas Eve. We start talking about the Lord and his coming, and I, I was wondering if maybe this year, Christmas Eve would be the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that Christmas, if we were to celebrate the birth of Christ, it would probably be more like March or April uh, when the shepherds are in the fields but we celebrate, and the whole world seems to shut down um, the 25th of December. Now, it's interesting because there was a decree made by Caesar Augustus that everybody was to go home. Maybe the first day home policy, I don't know. <laughs> Not just a thought, you know, <laughs> that, that maybe they had to return home because that's where God wanted them when he came the first time. God's doing something, people. God is at work. And we need to open our eyes and say, am I ready to meet my God? And who is going to sound the alarm? The pulpits this morning in Madison, I wonder how many of them are lifting up Jesus Christ. Maybe there are more than what I know. But why is it that they want to get into politics in the pulpit when they can preach Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Why would they get into issues in the pulpit when they could just say that Jesus Christ is the loving God, but he hates sin? Why why is it that they have to mm, put flags out to show how they stand when the word of God is against some of that? Why are they doing all? Is there any place that will sound the alarm and say, look, Jesus Christ came the first time, we're going to celebrate it on the 25th, and Jesus Christ is coming the second time, and we better get our hearts ready. I mean, simple, isn't it? Get our families ready to meet the Lord. I think it's interesting as we think about it, because Zechariah gives us that understanding that it is the branch. Uh, We have the opportunity this year to make our presence again. We came up with the idea last year that we were going to make our presents and give them away rather than buy them. Now, there are, uh, there are some gifts that we will buy, so we're not making tons of gifts. all oh, crazy. But we, we exchange names, just family members, my, my wife and I and our children, and now our daughter in loves, and we're able to exchange and, and make gifts for one another. And I think the greatest thing you can give somebody is your time. And I think if you make something for somebody, it means a little bit better and more. And and by the way, they knew this back in when when they made the Waltons. Remember the Waltons? You know, we kind of left that kind of thinking. We we think that it's you know the bigger the better, you know, and the most elaborate. And we give buy you a truck or something, you know. When really, it's the simple things things that are actually made from the heart to say, I think this is something that you would like. I've been watching you, and I want to make something that I think you would really enjoy. I think that's important. But more than that, I really believe the God of heaven is desiring that people would come on Christmas morning and understand why we are giving gifts. And understanding the reason behind that the greatest gift was given to us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The simplicity of Jesus Christ. It needs to be sounded out. And who's going to sound the warning? Who's going to continue on? Dear friend, don't be weary in well-doing. And some of you maybe are going to throw in the towel. I preached a message recently on a Wednesday night about building, don't throw in the trowel. It's interesting that it would be easy for us just to throw it in and say, no, I'm no longer going to build. No, I'm no longer going to do what's right. Look what everybody else is doing, what's wrong. And so why should I? I think you should because he loves you so. And it's a mutual love between you and God. You love him and he loves you. That's why we serve him. That's why we point to him. And so we see, second of all, the work of the Messiah is specified in verse number 12, where he shall grow up out of his place. And Herod's savage desire to have all the babies killed after hearing of the birth of Jesus Christ, he failed. And just like Esther's story, is those that go against God's will and God's plan will be destroyed. And so I have no desire to uh, be weary this morning concerning this election, concerning what's going on in our world system. I want to put my trust and faith completely in the Lord Jesus Christ and know that if anybody goes against God's will, you're in big trouble. And if you're going to lie your way into some place, just stand back and watch God, because God is big enough to take care of all of those things. Amen. I remember years ago, traveling over into Romania, taking a plane. So one of my first trips, really, in an ice plane, the military planes, where they were kind of loud and smelly, diesel, whatever it was. But I flew from here into Romania and got off the plane and of course, I think I flew into Hungary, and then from Hungary went into Romania. And then we went to the backwoods of Romania, and to a little town called Beuș. A little short, chubby pastor with a top hat, rounded, met us. And he took us with his suit on all the way up the hillside, past shepherds, into this beautiful, beautiful scenery. And it had a spring on the, on the property, and the field was, was completely mowed and taken care of and then there was a beautiful complex there and Ceausescu was in leadership 10 years prior to me coming in and they said that there'll be no camp here for children. That they didn't want children's camps like Camp Joy or Camp Chatech and so on And, and around the world by the way America has been so blessed but it's not like that around the world and so it was in Romania and As I went to the top of that hill and saw that complex, there was a man that was from France, was one of the missionaries along with the missionary from Romania, and then a group of us from Northland Baptist Bible College were all there. And uh, they were telling me the story that as soon as they heard that this was going to be a camp for children, that they brought bulldozers in and machinery, and they caved the foundations in and said, there'll be no camp for children. They couldn't find a company to come in and destroy it, but once they finally did find a company to come in and destroy it, every single person that was in that particular company died or was in a mental hospital. And when I heard the story, it gave me goosebumps thinking, who would go against the will of God? Who would ever do something against what God is doing? Who would ever shut down the work of a living God? And and remember that he is God. And as as you see in even Esther, that those that went against God's will and, and, and made gallows for somebody else were the ones that were hung in their own gallows that they built. Interesting story as we think about it because... Herod himself was an evil person and he tried to eliminate the babies. But this particular text tells us that the branch and he shall grow up out of his place and he will grow up, not only meaning geographically, but also miraculously, God, through the virgin birth, he would be born. He will spring up and out into this little town called Bethlehem. So insignificant, perhaps, but God used it greatly. In Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52, the Bible says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was the subject of them. And his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, but Jesus increased. He grew up in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God, in favor with man. But he also grew up in virtue an influence, enough to impact the world that we would set aside one day completely to celebrate his birthday where everyone will shut down. Christmas Day is on its way. And so a branch mentions a branch, neither sown or planted. A branch has no beginning or end not propagating any human hand, but shooting forth to the blossoms in the royal line of David and finally to grow up and out into the power and dominion to supply an everlasting kingdom and to guide it and direct it and to rule. He shall build the temple of the Lord, the Bible says. This is his responsibility, but this is his joy. This really speaks of the church or the assembly of God, I believe, when it's talking about the temple of the Lord here, and knowing you not that your body is a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And 1 Peter 2, verse number 5 says, you also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ." but he is the author, of course, and the foundation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, and they're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto an holy temple in the Lord. This temple is the glorious school, the school of internal change, Of eternal significance, of of instruction from God that will help us to live our lives. It is a personified, monumental wisdom of God to the whole world, Jesus Christ, the Messiah coming. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 10 says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and the powers in heavenly places might be known by the church and manifold the wisdom of God. And thirdly, I see the honor of the Messiah is personified. That He shall bring glory and He shall be glorified. Look what it says in verse number 13. And even He shall build the temple of the Lord and He shall bear, bear the glory of it. And shall sit and rule upon His throne like it says in Psalm 110. Uh, and He shall be a priest upon the throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. Interesting that the robes of royalty belong to only one person, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And you can take all of the religions of the world and all of the people that they point to, they cannot hold a candle to Jesus Christ, our Lord, Amen. and our King. To bear the robes of royalty belong only to one person. And then to bear it, This means to lift it up or to bear it upon his shoulders. Look at him, once despised by men, now sitting on high, crowned and ruling as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His government needs no division of priests and kings because he rules in both the king and the priest position. And so that's why somebody sat down one day and wrote, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels' prostate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Sinners whose love can never forget the wormwood and the gall, go spread your trophies at his feet and crown him Lord of all. Interesting, the last stanza says, Oh, that with yonder sacred throng, we at his feet may fall, we'll join the everlasting song, and crown him Lord of all. He shall sit and rule upon his throne. In verse number 13, and normally the priests would stand, wouldn't they? They weren't, they weren't supposed to sit down. But not this priest. He is the high priest. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 11 and 12, it says, And every priest stands daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which never can take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice of sins, or for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. It also says it again in Hebrews chapter 1. I think sitting shows redemption is finished. Finally. Finally. I mean, he said it is finished. What beautiful words, to tell die It means it is completed. The transaction is done. The invoice has been taken care of. Don't worry about it. It is finished. Your salvation has been taken care of, and Jesus Christ is the one that paid the price of it all because you can't do it, no matter how hard you try, no matter how wonderful you think you are sitting shows that there is no intention to sacrifice again. We don't need to sacrifice him over and over and over again. We would do this in remembrance of him, we do this because He has given us His grace, and we do it monthly here at Grace Baptist Church when we take the communion of our Lord. It is not something that we do to gain grace. It is because He has given us grace that we can remember what He did 2,000 years ago on the cross for us. And that baby didn't remain a baby. He grew up to be a man, a great man. At the age of 33, they beat Him and crucified Him. He came to die. He knew that the penalty of sin must Be paid. In the garden of Gethsemane, the psychological, the implications that were upon him were incredible as he bowed down in that garden and he began to weep and and knowing, and if this cup could be taken from me, take it away, but, but let thy will be done, O Lord. And God in heaven decided that he was going to follow through with the redemption story, of course. Never turning back. And they laid Jesus... Christ down on Golgotha and nailed Him to a tree and lifted Him up and, and put Him into the, into the ground. And there He hung shamefully over all of the world. Look at Him! Despicable! Oh, if they could see Him now, dear friend, sitting upon His throne, high and lifted up! Glorious is His name! Jesus of Nazareth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Someday we'll see Him face to face. Call me Ignorant. Because I love my King James Bible, I don't care what you call me. I don't enter into arguments on Facebook, no sir. And I don't look for one. I just tell it like it is and that's it. If you don't like it, suffer through it. The Bible is true, every single word of it. I really believe that we need to sound out the gospel of Jesus Christ and not be complaining about other things today. But he's sitting at the right hand of God this morning, waiting Waiting to intercede on your behalf. And oh, how long he's been waiting for you to come to him. His arms are wide open saying, come unto me, I'll give you rest. What are you waiting for? Jesus is waiting for you to come to him for forgiveness. And he wants to help you. He's concerned about you. Seeing then that we have the great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. And what is it that you need today, dear friend? And what are you waiting for? Go to him. And we worship him in spirit and in truth. And you don't have to come to a church to... To pray and talk to God? Sure is good to see people, though, isn't it? Sure is nice to see that you're still here and continuing on. It's always a blessing to shake your hand and to say hello. And by the way, I'm not afraid of anything. I haven't got COVID yet. I'm not even knocking on wood. I don't care. I don't. You can't scare me with it. Not even a little bit i seen what it did to my wife. It was like a common cold. And she was strong every day. Oh, it, it took her a little bit. but She got through it, just like 42 other times over so the last 36 years that we've been sick. <laughs> I don't know what the big deal is, to be honest with you. I'm not trying to be mean. Now, if there were people dying every single day, now people die every day, by the way. And if they got dying, people, you know, how many people died yesterday? They'll tell you how many people died yesterday. Everybody dies of COVID these days. I don't know if you know that or not. And and, and really, it's kind of sad, isn't it? It's kind of sad. Because don't you think that it would be better just to tell the truth about what's going on in the world? There's something fishy going on all around the world. I'm not a conspiracy person, kind of. But I believe the word of God over CNN. <laughs> oh, I need to go on. <laughs> Lastly, the temple of the Messiah organized. In verse number 13. You can't get past the word peace, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And that peaceful sense that God is there, both priest and king. And Lord of lords, understanding that he drew the plan that he would build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're not talking about a structure. We're talking about people. That he would call you to himself. And that you would come out of religion into a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah. And Everything is specified and preordained. This is all than God's plan. And we know what's happened is history, but it's really his story being told. And God gave us some of that history in the prophecies, in the minor prophets, and everything is specified and preordained. And he collected all the materials for his temple. Collected all the people, I should say, because these materials are not just physically prepared, but also spiritually. He bought them. He fashioned them. He equipped them. And I'm speaking of you. You that are sitting in the pew are God's chosen. You have come to Christ. You are a peculiar people. You have been very blessed. And God is going to continue to mold you and to make you into what he desires for you to be. But let me tell you something, friends. By grace, he forms and he polishes all of us to be used in his temple, if you would. John chapter 2, verse number 18. I'll close with these verses. And then answered Jesus, then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest unto us, seeing that thou dost these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? They were so blind. They really should have worked for CNN. And, or even Fox lately. But, but Jesus, but he spake of the temple of his body. And when then, therefore, he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which he had said. I I think it's interesting because the most simple truth that we can understand in these days, and as we draw closer, we have one more Sunday before the, the wonderful day of Christmas, is the Bethlehem bread is the word of God. And out of Bethlehem, what well, came a king, and his name was Jesus, and we can feed upon him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The psalmist says. And you know what happens to people when they don't eat? They get really skinny, and they almost to the place where they're not well. Have you been eating well lately? You ever see someone really thin, and people ask them that question, right? Are you eating well? Are you feeling okay? You know. What about spiritually? Have you been eating okay? Let's not get weak and bulimic. Let's not be shallow and superficial. Let's be real, honest, and humble. And let's feed upon the Bethlehem bread. And we can point to the Messiah every single time and say, thank you, Lord. Now, it's so simple that anybody that comes to the feet of Jesus can say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know I can't save myself even though I've got uh, a good job and a good home. I live in a good country. I live in a good city. None of that can save me. The only thing that can save me is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Howell, I've known who Jesus is for a long time, but I've never received him. Two people in the last 48 hours that I know of have asked Jesus Christ to save them. Praise God. Two more people for heaven. But maybe it's time now for you to say, you know, Lord, I come to you. Even as the song was being played, I realized that you are the King of Kings. And as the sermon was being preached, I realized that I, too, want to have you as my Lord and Savior. I want to open up my heart and let you into my life. Is that you this morning? Maybe just take a moment here, every head bowed and every eye closed, and you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me because I need to make that decision? Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand and put it back down. I need Jesus Christ. I know I do. Just lift it up, put it back down again. If it's you, I'll pray for you and point you out. And dear friend, Jesus loves you. You've come to him already. Maybe there's some things between you and him that you need to get straightened out. I don't know. Maybe there's a, a door of opportunity that you've not been going through, but you want to say, Lord, here I am. I, I want to go through that door now. I, I yield now, Lord. Here I am. I'm, I'm ready. Why don't you come? This is an old-fashioned altar. We still have altar calls here. And maybe you just need to come and kneel down here and say, here I am, Lord. Or maybe you want to pray on behalf of somebody else, why don't you come? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet? No one looking around. What a wonderful group this morning. If you'd like to come, the altar's open for you. I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, the piano player will begin. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word, and we pray now that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct. In Jesus' name, Amen.